So today we're kicking off a new series called Foretold, and in this series we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, we tend to do that a lot around here. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to actually be looking through the first chapter of each of the four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in this series, we've got a little team every Monday that we gather together and we look through scripture and we talk about getting ready for sermons. And I told the people around that table, I, guess, I said, guess what? You're going to be the ones that get to do all the research for this. And I, I assigned each one a different portion. And today, this is Alex's portion. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> That's right. So I said, Alex, you, you look at, you study, you bring your notes. And I said, I'm going to make it mine because I'm the one that has to preach this thing. But we believe in developing people around here. And, we, and one of the ways that we can do that is just to, hey, you do it. And we, I really want to develop a team of preachers and teachers that are able to come up here and boldly proclaim the message of Christ. That this church is not built just upon me or anyone else. It's built upon a team of people that love Jesus. And so a lot of the notes and things um, are inspired and, and have been brought to me by Alex. So we're really excited about that today. Yes, thank you, Alex. <laughs> And when I told them we're going to have a Christmas series and they're all going to have the, it's going to be based on the first chapter of each of the four Gospels. Once they started to read those first chapters, they realized none of those first chapters actually have the traditional Christmas message. None of them. They're all either precursors, or they jump right into something else. One of them got Luke and they thought, well, Luke obviously is the, nope, that's Luke 2. Luke 1 is not that. So I'm like, you've got to come in there and you've got to figure out how in that passage can we make sure that we're pointing people towards the Christmas story? So we're going to start today, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the first book of the, the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. If you don't know where it is, Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 1. So since you have your Bibles with me, turn with you to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to hit a word here that's a yucky word in the Bible. It says, the book of the genealogy, that's that yucky word right there. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I want to just pause right here. Now, I know we only got through one verse, but there's a word there. And I don't know about you, but the Bible's full of these things called genealogies. Lineages. He begat this person, that begat this person. It's just this heritage and these lists of names. And if you're like me, when I get to those lists of names... I usually go, that's nice, and you kind of just skim by them. <laughs> you know, you just, you're like, I, I don't know, I get that they're here, I'm sure they're here for a reason, but I just skim by them. It's like when you get a phone or you download an app, or how many of you guys agree to things that you're like, I don't know what I'm even agreeing to. You just scroll past them and you hit, yes, I agree. You might have agreed to give your kidney. <laughs> you don't know, did you read it? One day you're going you're gonna to be watching TV and there's going to be a Cheetos commercial that comes on, and you're going to hear your voice. Hey, get your Cheeto fingers off the couch, because you agreed to be used in advertising, and you didn't even know it. I mean, who knows what we're agreeing to sometimes? That's why it's important. I'm never going to go read all the terms and conditions, but sometimes it's important to read those sections of Scripture that we actually just gloss over and say, this is here for a reason. All Scripture is useful. And so if it's here for a reason, let's pause and say, God, what do you want to say to us in this? What do you want to speak to us in this portion of scripture? There must be something in here that's important for us to see. And today we're going to read this and we're not just going to skip over it. So right at the outset, this very first verse, it says, 
the genealogy, but then it gives these kind of statements that are big statements if we pause and think about them. It says this is going to be the genealogy of Jesus, and then it says the Christ. Now, first off, Christ is not Jesus' last name, guys. It's not. Okay, it's not like my last name is Delaney. His name was not Jesus Christ. It's a title. It's a title. It's not a last name. It's a title. And when people would have heard this, it's a title that means the Messiah. It's the one that had been promised. It's the one that they had they'd prayed for and hoped for. It's a title that meant this, this person that's coming is the Christ, the one who's about to change everything. He's the game changer. And he's, Matthew, who's writing this, he's a former tax collector, which means he was despised. And people didn't want to believe necessarily at first the things that he was going to st- say. And he's making bold statements from the very beginning that this Jesus is the Christ. And then he says, he's the son of David. And we may be like, well, what is that supposed to mean? Why does this matter? And we're talking about, this is David the shepherd boy who turned king, the boy who slayed a giant, the boy who turned into a king that won victory after victory, who established a kingdom. And God had made a promise to David. He said, from your kingdom, your kingdom will never end. From the lineage of your kingdom, your kingdom will never end. And so what Matthew is saying here is there's a new king in town. And this king is the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lord, and he's come. He's the eternal ruler who we've been waiting for, who was promised even through David. And then he makes another statement. All in this first verse, this is the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham is foundational in the Jewish identity. He's the father of the nation of Israel, but he's also the first, one of the first ones that God makes a, a promise to. And he says, All nations will be blessed through you. So all nations through your lineage are going to be blessed, Abraham. And that person from that lineage is Jesus. That all nations are blessed through Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, the King of kings, and the one who brings us all together, all nations blessed. So that's who Jesus is. And it's stated right here. He's the Christ. Jesus is the king. And Jesus is the promised blessing to all nations. So Matthew, remember who's a tax collector, is now making this huge, bold statement. This this right out of the bat, big, bold statement in his, his message. These are huge claims. And when you read them all together, It seems if somebody would have read this at that point in time, they'd be like, this is earth shattering. This is way too good to be true. This can't be real. This is the Christ. This is the promised one. This is the king that we've been waiting for. And how many guys have come across something that just seems too good to be true? You know, you'd come, especially if you've been shopping for Christmas gifts. Don't say what you want too much because your phone listens and you'll start seeing ads for it. You know it to be true. You know it. And you start seeing sometimes things that seem like they're almost too good to be true. Maybe you're like looking for a blender and all of a sudden your feed starts popping up with all these blenders and suddenly you see the Chopomatic 3000 and the Chopomatic 3000 starts making, I don't know, you've all seen these dumb things. It's like it's, it, it, 
it can puree, it can make coffee, it can make toast. And you're like, what does the blender need to make toast for? And they put a, they always do dumb things like they'll put a brick in there and like chop it up. And like, why am I chopping up bricks? This makes absolutely no sense. But it's making all these bold claims. And you're like, should I actually buy this? This seems ridiculous. And what we all tend to do is we don't exactly believe maybe all the bold claims that the advertisement makes, but we start going and looking at the reviews. What do other people say about this? What do other people think about this? You're scrolling through comments, and you're looking for somebody to say, yes, this blender can chop up bricks. And you're like, well, you're the weirdo that did this. (laughs) Or you see somebody else that says, no, the blender caught on fire, and now I only have two fingers. I mean, who knows? But you look to those to give some kind of validation. Is this too good to be true or not? You go on YouTube and watch little videos of people reviewing. More importantly, if you have a friend that has one, and you know somebody personally that has this thing, you, you give validation to it by the stories and the accounts of others. And the reason I say this is because Matthew is bringing up this bold statement, and he's got to bring some validation to it. He's got to do something that's going to be that kind of, there's this big, huge, bold claim that seems too good to be true. And he's about to list a whole list of names that point towards why it is true. Why this is the right thing and can validate this big, bold claim. These, val- these names, the stories of these names, they all point to Jesus being the one that Matthew's about to tell us a whole bunch of stories about who he says he is. What Matthew's trying to say is, Jesus is not some overhyped product. I'm about to show you why he is the Christ, the King, the promised one. That all nations will be blessed through him. So we're about to read a whole list of names. And I'm going to read them all. Yeah, good luck is right. I said, I need my chair because I'm about to pull up a chair in a minute. But as we read these, I want you to be thinking, these names in here are to help validate who Christ is. Yeah. It's like us going through those comments and, you know, we, we, we can sniff out the ones like, you got paid to say this. And you, this one is like, okay, it's been validated. This list of names validates who Jesus is right from the beginning. So we're going to turn. We're going to see the genealogy validates the promises. The, geneal- the genealogy validates the the prophecies, and the plan of God unfolding through generations. We're going to dive in here. I'm going to pull up a chair because there's a lot of names in this. And usually if you go to church and they get to this passage, they ain't reading all these names. I, even when we sat around and we we were planning this out, and Alex says, I think you should read all the names. I said, I don't think so. I said, there's a verse at the end that says, there's 14 generations, and it's one little verse, and that's the verse. And I thought, all right, we say all scripture is useful. We're going to read this, and I'm going to struggle through. And people make up like they know how to say these names. They lie. They just have confidence. So I'm going to have confidence today. And I might pause here and there to just say a little quip about some of these people, because we're going to see some of these people are messed up. Some of these people are not. But let's just start by one that's messed up, Abraham. So verse 2 says, Abraham Abraham was a liar, in case you didn't know this. He was. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah was a womanizer. If you read it, you'll see that. 
And his brothers, I like that he just lists his brothers. You don't get names, you just get brothers. Judah was the father of Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. Tamar, if you didn't know, was a prostitute. She pretended to be a prostitute. I guess she wasn't a prostitute. She pretended to be a harlot so that she could get pregnant. Interesting. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram, like a truck. And Ram, the father of Amimadab. Amimadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. So not salmon. It's not a fish, okay? Sam, I almost did it. Salmon. The father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, Rahab was a prostitute. Boaz. <laughs> okay. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. We're going to talk about Ruth in a minute. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Jesse, who overlooked his son. Some of you feel overlooked. Jesse overlooked the king. Uh, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah is also known as Bathsheba. So that's the woman who David has her husband murdered. So right here in this one line, there's uh, murder victims. There's adultery. All in this lineage of Jesus. Solomon, we know Solomon was the man with wisdom and wealth, but he turned from God. Um, because of that, is the father of Rehoboam, who was listened to bad counsel and split the kingdom. And Rehoboam was the father of, now I started getting to names, I don't like, Abijah, there we go, that's good. Abijah was the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Those were some good kings, they prioritized worship. Um, Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram, Joram was the father of Isaiah, Isaiah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a good king but a cowardly king who didn't have any forethought of what was going to be in the future, he only cared about the now, we can't live like that. Um, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh who was super evil, if you read about it, did lots of bad things. Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah young king, very good. Josiah the father of Jeconia, Jeconia. And his brothers, again, we just list brothers. Who cares what their name was? Um, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now they go to Babylon, the names are about to get ridiculous. Because they start taking on Babylonian names. But that's all right. After the deportation of Babylon, Jeconia was the father of, man, I don't want to say this because it sounds like a cuss word. Shealtiel. My, my note here says, don't say this name really fast or it's going to sound like you're cussing. Uh, Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok. See, these names are ridiculous. They just sound like made-up names. Um, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim the father of Iliad, Iliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Huh. And here's the verse I wanted to only read. <laughs> so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So we hear this genealogy, this history, this lineage that brought along the Savior. And if people were expecting Jesus to come from this perfect family... They were going to be dearly mistaken when they read this lineage. Jesus' family tree was a little messy. Jesus' family tree looked more like the Griswolds than the ones you see with the, you know, the matching sweaters and smiles. 
You guys know the Griswolds? If you don't know the Griswolds, I'm not necessarily saying you need to watch the movie, but there's, there's this movie called Christmas Vacation. And there's this family called the Griswolds. And the movie's about this guy named Clark. And Clark's got his own mess. But Clark just wants to have this perfect family Christmas. And guess who shows up? The family. <laughs> Families tend to bring some struggles and dysfunction with them. And Clark's already dysfunctional. But Clark's, he's got a, a, a guy named Eddie, his cousin that shows up. Eddie brings his hillbilly kids. He brings a, a, a lot of sewage to dump into some places he shouldn't dump. <laughs> a dog that wants to drink all the water. Along comes his parents. There's an aunt that brings a, a cat wrapped in a box. A, an uncle that wants to light things on fire on accident. Like it's a mess. Jesus' family tree kind of kind of looks a lot like the Griswolds. It's a lot of mess in there. A lot of things going on. A lot of complications happening in here. It's not picture perfect. It's not sanitized. If you guys have ever spent any time with scripture, it's not a sanitized viewpoint of God's people. It keeps it real. It shows us that, you know what? Jesus came from families that look a lot more like ours than maybe we would think. And here's what the point is. Jesus didn't come from a lineage of flawless saints. He came from a lineage of real people with real issues. Real people, real issues. And the story of salvation isn't about Jesus coming from just flawlessness and pristine. There's kings in there. There's chaos in there. There's a whole mixture of stuff. But here's what happened. A light shone in the darkness. You know, in that dumb movie, all Clark wants to do is have his lights shine really bright. But there's a lot of untangling of lights that needs to happen. Jesus came and untangled everything, even through this mess, and said, here I am. A light shining in the darkness. So I want us to see a few things. I read this genealogy, and I want us to see a few things in this genealogy. Because like I said, we could just scroll right past it. Be like, that's nice, names, Whatever. But there's some things that we can see in here that I think are important for us. Here's this first one. God isn't looking to rewrite our stories. He wants to include us in his. God's about redemption, not erasure. And often I think there's a few issues and misconceptions that we have. One of the misconceptions we have is that it's, it's all about us. You know, we may not try to, but we all kind of think we're our own stars in our own little biopic. And that everything, even though we may not be narcissistic and we try not to be selfish, we all are a lot of, we, we, we think it's about us. And we don't realize that my story is really to be pieced into a bigger story of what God is trying to do, of what Jesus has done through, throughout eternity. And what he's trying to do and a lot of times what we, I think, teach falsely, that's, that's kind of a, a mistaken thing that we do, is we, we say when Jesus comes in, he wants to rewrite your story. Now to rewrite something means I need to erase something. The only thing that God wants to do is to not see our sin. Even that can't be fully erased. But he, so he doesn't want to erase and rewrite. He wants to redeem and include. He wants to redeem and include our story into what he is doing. Because if you've been through anything, you know that, man, it's real difficult to just erase what's happened in your life. 
But when you submit it and surrender it to God, he can redeem anything. He's a God who redeems. And when we see in this lineage of Jesus, what we see in the genealogy is God's not a divine editor. He didn't erase a bunch of these, this mess that we see in there. There's a lot of things that are crazy if you study the people in here. Like I said, some of those kings were really evil. There was some strange stuff that happened through them. And it could have been just as easy to, to edit, to include something else. But I think what God wants us to see is, hey, I'm not a divine editor. The only thing that I want to wipe away is your sin. You're clean and forgiven for that because of Jesus. But all of your past, all of your pain, man, it's not that I want to rewrite it. I want to redeem it, include, you, include it into what I want to do. So in Jesus, every part of our past, guys, every flaw, every failure, it's not something to be erased. It's something to be redeemed. Now, I've had lots of things and hurt and struggle and stuff in, our, in my past, like a lot of you. And if you think about it long enough, sometimes you think, man, I don't know where I, if I'd be where I am today if I just completely re- erased what happened in the past. If you submit and surrender to God and submit and surrender to Jesus daily, he begins to, to show you, man, I'm going to redeem those things. You know, we heard even Jace last week talking about where God is leading him and it was from a, a hard past, but now God has redeemed it into a better and a brighter future. And I believe he wants to do that with all of us. And it's not about erasing. It's not about editing. It's about moving forward with Christ. It's about letting our story be a part of his, not trying to live separate from it. When we try to live separate from the story of Christ, when we try to do our own thing, that's when we get into a mess. So, Jesus came not so that we could be rewritten, but that we could be redeemed and included. When you talk about inclusion, there's something really interesting that we see in this genealogy. You know, Alex really brought this point strong when he came and we were talking about this. There's something included in the genealogy that is, is different than most genealogies of this day and time. Women are included in this genealogy. And to us, we may be like, that's not a big deal. That was a huge deal. It was a, it was a big statement. It was groundbreaking. It was countercultural. It reminds us of something else. In God's story, no one is invisible and everyone holds value. No one's invisible. Everyone holds value. A lot of times the genealogy would just be a list of men. Right at the beginning, Jesus is showing us, hey, men are important, but so are women. He starts to include the overlooked. He starts to include the ones who hadn't been included. In ancient times, genealogies were like resumes. And most, you know, they're mostly all just men, but women here are mentioned, and these just aren't any women. These are women that a lot of times would have been overlooked and completely erased and edited, especially when you're trying to give a genealogy of the Savior. But these presence of these women are a testament to how God views all humanity important, seen, part of his design. So, if at any point in your life, if you feel unseen, unnoticed, unimportant, Jesus is showing us, even in this genealogy, hey, I came to show you that you are loved, you are important, you have a purpose through me. So all these people that were overlooked, 
that hardship, the ultimate culmination of all of their purpose was Jesus. So it's not, it's not just okay to feel overlooked or unseen. It's understanding that we are seen by God. That's why he loved us so much he sent us Christ. And the women that were included here were not the expected type of women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, by the name of her husband Bathsheba, these are women who experienced scandal, who lived on the margins. Like I said, Tamar couldn't get, this, I'm going to get a little un-PG, couldn't get her dude to sleep with her. So she dressed up like a harlot, tricked him so she could have a baby included in the lineage of Jesus. Someone that had been over, overlooked, unseen, even by her own man. Rahab, like Jace yelled out, preach it, was a prostitute that helped the people in a time of need. Ruth was a foreigner, wasn't even someone that should have been included in the lineage of Jesus, was included in, and if you read it, she slides under some dude's sheets. I mean, it's there. And then Bathsheba, if you've been around church at all, you know, was involved in one of the most scandalous things to happen in all of Scripture. And then it gets down at the very end to another woman, Mary. The mother of Jesus. It's a young girl that has an unexpected pregnancy. And in the eyes of anyone else, it'd just be like, oh man, it's just another scandal. It's just another thing. It's another scandal. But God is saying, hey, first off, it's not. I've done this. I'm a part of this. But he, what, he can, what he can show us is, look at this genealogy and all of these women that you might call scandalous. I have used and redeemed in my story. So even this Mary that maybe you think is a scandal, it's not because the Savior came through her. So what we need to see is that every person, guys, regardless of gender, regardless of background or past, is valued and loved by God. Every person is valued and loved by God. We may not like them. We may think they're different. They're on the edges. They're... They are loved and valued by God. So if you feel that way, you are seen, loved, and valued by God. If you know people that feel that way, you need to introduce them to the Savior who includes and loves them. In Christ, there's no barrier of gender, race. You know, we tend to separate and isolate ourselves into different subcategories, and it's gotten really bad in the last five to ten years. Everyone's sub, you know, I... I'm this, I'm that. And we just separate ourselves. And Jesus says, I want you to all be united in me. And we've got to come back to that, that our value and our identity doesn't come from being a female, doesn't come from being black, white. It comes from being found and loved through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we see this even in the names of just some women in here. And in, in this lineage, we see, again, we see scandalous we see the overlooked, but we can't forget something else. There's righteous, faithful moments of victory in this. There's, there's good guys in here. There's people who were faithful. None of them perfect because their only perfect one is Jesus. But there's good kings. I talked about like Jehoshaphat who went into battle with only worship and was victorious. Kings like Josiah who did right in the eyes of the Lord and helped people turn back towards God, who tore down idols. 
Even men who maybe had their moments of stumble. People like, there's people like David who was a victorious warrior. Solomon who built, built an amazing temple and was full of wealth and wisdom. There was a lot of victory and a lot of triumph here, but it all points towards the ultimate victor, the King of Kings, Jesus. So in, G, in the genealogy, we see rocky pasts, but we're also, there were those who were raised in faith, those who came from a lineage of righteousness. And the truth is, some of you guys have been raised in faith. You come from pretty strong foundation. Some of you have been blessed and you've experienced a lot of victory and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you should also never take credit for it. Every good thing in our lives is a chance to showcase the ultimate goodness found in Jesus. All of the good pieces in the, the genealogy were all culminating. Again, it all is moving towards the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ. Every grace that God has given to us. Every time we can look back and say, man, I'm, I'm just, I love, I'm glad my parents are my parents, or I'm glad that I was able to have this thing. It all comes because of the grace of God. We have breath in our lungs, grace of God. If you're able to walk, speak, talk, grace of God. Every good thing comes from God. And when we start taking credit for it, when we start maybe feeling a little puffed up and proud about it, man, we're going down a space that we don't need to go down. You know, a couple months ago, I remember it was a few weeks ago, we preached a message and at part of it, we were, I was talking about humility and how important it is to stay humble. And after church, a lot of you guys will come and you'll chat with me and one of my, our friends came out and he was telling me a story and he goes, I need, you to, I need to tell you this story about a time that I had to remind myself to stay humble. And I said, okay, if you tell me a story, you're giving me permission to share it at some other point. And so he tells me this story, and here it is. I'm going to tell it. He said there was a, a day, he said it was a nice day, and I went out to my property, and he goes, and I've got a nice big piece of property, and I'm out there, and I'm thinking, man, I remember what I came from. And he looked out, and he's like, look at all that I've been able to, to do and see. And he said, and he thought about his family, and man, I've raised this amazing family. And he said, and I started making it all about myself. And I started kind of getting, you know, you know what it feels like. You get kind of puffed up when you're like, yeah, that's right. I'm the man. And I was like, yeah, I've had that feeling before. And he goes, and I'm thinking, man, I am the man. And I look up. I'm like, that's right. I am the man. He goes, and a big giant dollop of bird poop falls right in my face. <laughs> and he goes, and I felt like it was God giving me a reminder. <laughs> hey. I'm in control of all of this. I'm in control of all of this. You stay humble or I'm going to humble you. And he goes, and I wiped it off and I thought, okay, God, I love you. Thank you so much. Your grace is good. <laughs> but we could do that sometimes. We just take for granted the grace that God has put into our lives. We take credit for the fact that we worked hard to earn something. God gave you the mind, the hands, the feet to do all the things that worked hard to get the thing. So it's not that you didn't have a part to play. It's that God played the ultimate role. And so all in the genealogy and all the, the good parts and the blessings, we need to understand that it's all just God. So whatever we bring, we bring 
and say, every good thing, every bad thing, every hardship, I'm going to lay it down at the feet of Jesus, who's the ultimate victor. Then chapter 1 ends, and I'm not going to read this section, but it, it ends with Joseph's story. And as we end, I want us to think about Joseph's story for a moment because he's, there he is, he's engaged to Mary and he finds out she's pregnant. And in that culture, in that day and time, that was completely scandalous. And Joseph is a righteous man and he decides, you know what, I'm going to do an honorable thing and I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I'm not going to publicly shame, I'm just going to divorce her. To save her from disgrace, I'm just going to separate myself from her. But God had a different plan. And here's what I want us to see here. I was just saying, God, what do you want me to see in this? And sometimes we need to go to Scripture and just kind of think, God, what do you want me to see in this portion here? And God said to me, he said, sometimes what we want to do is just divorce ourselves from all of our pain and all of our past and all of our problems. To push them to the side and not acknowledge them at all. To say, all this pain, I'm just pushing away. Joseph wanted to just say, okay, I'm, it was a righteous thing he was trying to do to just say, okay, I'm going to just divorce myself of this. I'm going to separate myself from all the hardship and all this pain right now. I'm just going to separate myself from this. But Matthew 120 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want us to really get. Don't, don't, don't divorce yourself from your story. Don't divorce yourself from your past and your pain. It doesn't mean that you need to embrace it or always lean back into it. It's that you need to see what God has brought through it. Some of you guys have struggled with addiction and God has brought you through it. And I don't, you don't need to just completely embrace it, but you need to understand where God has brought you through. To not just kick it to the curb and say, no more. Say, no, this is what God has done in my life. Good, bad, ugly. My past has brought me to my present because I have spent time with Jesus and he is the redeemer. He's the ultimate victor. He's the one who brings peace. He's the one who brings hope. Jesus didn't come to divorce us from our past. He wants to be present in it and transform it. I talk a lot about God being a redeemer, and I believe Jesus, through his genealogy, shows us the ultimate acts of redemption. There's a verse in Isaiah 9-6. It's kind of our foretold verse. Isaiah is prophesying. He's speaking of what's to come. He says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a song that we sang this morning. It says, it's just quoting right from this, his name will be Wonderful, Counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. You know what a counselor does? It helps you see your, they help you see your story and what you can learn and how you can move through it. He's the wonderful counselor who redeems our story. He's the father who sees the unseen. A good father cares for all of their children. He's the father that cares for you. He's the mighty God, which means he is mighty and victorious. 
and he's the Prince of Peace. In that passage in Matthew, it says he's Emmanuel, which means he's God with us. And it's a present tense word, which means he's not just with us then, he's with us now. That's who Jesus wants to be. He wants to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. And I said, I asked the team, today as we end our service, can we just sing that song one more time to remind ourselves that even through all of this stuff that we'd want to skip over, it shows us who Jesus really is.